Hi, I'm A.J. Hogue, the author of Effortless English, Learn to Speak English Like a Native. And this is the Effortless English Show, the show that teaches you to speak English powerfully. For my free audiobook, enter your email at EffortlessEnglish.com. Free audiobook at EffortlessEnglish.com. First question comes from a Facebook comment from the Effortless English Facebook page, facebook.com slash Effortless English. It's from Hua Huin, and she asks, how do you clearly pronounce plural words? Plural words. What's a plural word? A plural means more than one, right? So we have uh, paper and papers, put the S at the end, right? Uh, plate and plates. So she has trouble pronouncing the plural forms of words. This is a common problem for, for many speakers. And it's similar to the issue, the question that we discussed in the last Effortless English show. In the last Effortless English show, we talked about the past tense of verbs, those d sounds, right? Those kind of d or t sounds that change the meaning of the verbs from present to past. And now we're talking about the, the plural nouns. And again, we're adding a sound at the end, this time a s or a z sound. But in both cases, we're talking about the word endings. So just as it's important to clearly and strongly pronounce the ends of verbs, it's also very important to strongly pronounce the ends of plural words. For example, word. We have word and then plural is words, right? That It's got a z sound at the end. Now, a lot of speakers will cut that sound. So they say word, word, and, and nobody hears the they don't hear the plural sound. Uh, people in Vietnam especially have this problem. A lot of uh, languages that don't have plurals might have these problems. And the solution is, again, exaggeration. Exaggeration, exaggeration, exaggeration. This is one of the key principles of effortless English pronunciation. That playful exaggeration that I discussed in a earlier Effortless English show, right? That you, sometimes when you practice to make your pronunciation better, you have to do it too much. When you're a learner, when you have a problem with pronunciation, to fix it, you have to do it very, very strongly for a while. Too strongly. It will feel strange. So in this case, for plural words, you need to emphasize the ends of those words. Make that S or Z sound very, very strong, extra strong, too strong. It should feel strange to you. You should feel like you're doing it much too much. Now, probably a native speaker listening to you, they won't feel like you're doing it too much, but you'll feel like it. You'll feel like you're exaggerating way too much, but that's what you need to do to fix this problem. 
So you would say problems, problems, right? And you'd really make that zzz, that that last part of the word, the plural, the s. In this case, it's kind of a z sound. You would make it very, very, very strong. Or say the word plates, plates, and really make that s, that s sound, very strong, and make the sound for a long time. So you're emphasizing it, you're exaggerating it extremely. And you're going to do this, you could do a whole list of plural words, emphasizing and exaggerating the final sound of each one. When You could then speak sentences and phrases that contain plural words, again, emphasizing and exaggerating the ends of the words. And you can practice this day after day after day until it becomes very natural to say those ending sounds strongly. So you get those s and z sounds nice and clear so that it's clear you're pronouncing the plural form. It's clear that it's more than one. Okay, now it's time for our idiom today. This is a movie idiom. It comes from a movie. It's a very, very famous idiom. It's a famous phrase from a very famous movie. But we use it all the time, and we use it in everyday speech. Here's the phrase. We're not in Kansas anymore. We're not in Kansas anymore. You might hear this in a lot of different movies because it's such a common idiom now. It originally comes from The Wizard of Oz. The Wizard of Oz. So a very famous movie, a little bit of an old movie, but a famous movie, a good movie. We're not in Kansas anymore. And it's said by the main character. So she, she, she's a little girl, and she lives in Kansas. That's a state in the United States. It's a, a region, a prefecture in the United States. We call them states. It's right in the middle of America. So she's from Kansas, and then a big tornado comes and takes her off to this magical land called Oz. And she arrives in Oz, and everything's magical and everything's strange. And she says to her dog, she says, Oh, we're not in Kansas anymore. Toto, we're not in Kansas anymore. Okay, now Toto, Toto, that's the name of her dog. So she's talking to her little dog, Toto, and she says, We're not in Kansas anymore. Right? She's, they're now in this strange, magical land called Oz. Okay, that's where the idiom comes from. What does it mean when we use it now, every day? In normal, everyday situations, what does it mean? It means we're not in our normal place anymore. Or we're not in our normal situation anymore. So we say this idiom Whenever we are in a, in a weird or strange place or a weird or strange situation, right? Usually it's when something strange happens. So, for example, let's imagine that I travel to India from America. And I go to India with my friend. And we arrive in Mumbai, right? And we go into Mumbai and suddenly there are you know, Hindu temples everywhere, and 
crazy traffic and sadhus, which are like holy men, and all this stuff that is very, very strange for an American, right? Very different from America. I might look at my friend and say, oh, we're not in Kansas anymore. And of course, we're not actually from Kansas, but the idiom means, oh, we're not in our normal life anymore. So you could use it for a place. You can even use it just in a weird situation. So something weird happens at work, right? Maybe it's just something very strange and unusual happens. You could say, oh, wow, we're not in Kansas anymore, right? It's like everything is different. Usually, however, it's used when you're in a strange place. So it's used with a location that's very weird or different. We're not in Kansas anymore. We're not in our normal place anymore. Okay, that's our idiom. Now I'd like to continue our discussion of the book, Dumbing Us Down. Remember in the last Effortless English show, I discussed a quote from that book. Well, I'd like to continue discussing this book. In fact, probably I'll do several shows about this book. There's so much in the book. It's got so much great information and uh Great ideas and great quotes that I think I can probably do a lot of shows about it. It's this great book. It's about education by John Taylor Gatto. That's the writer, John Taylor Gatto. Fantastic teacher. And uh, Dumbing Us Down is about education and the education system. And especially what's wrong with the modern education system. And this is really true for all countries around the world that I know of. Let me read another quote, another quote from the book, and then we'll talk about it. Two institutions at present control our children's lives, TV and schools, in that order. Both of these reduce the real world of wisdom, fortitude, temperance, and justice to a never-ending, non-stop abstraction. That's another powerful quote. I'll discuss the meaning. Some of the vocabulary might be difficult. So let's discuss that first, and then we'll talk about the general idea that, he, that John Taylor Gatto is discussing. Two institutions right now control our children's lives. He's saying there are two things, two major things that are controlling our children's thinking and they're all of their lives and the two things are television and schools tv and schools when you think about it he's right because think about most children maybe not your children but most children once they go to school most of their time most of the minutes most of the hours of their day are spent in school or watching television. If you add up the time they're in school, then add the time they spend watching TV or movies or DVDs, whatever. If you add the time for both of those, that's most of the time they're awake. Those are the two biggest activities for most kids. More than exercising, more than playing outdoors, more than lots of other things. Sadly, even more than time with their own mom and dad. 
They spend more time with television and schools than with their own parents. Why is this a problem? Well, according to Gatto, and I agree, he says both of these things, television and schools, reduce the real world to a nonstop abstraction. So he's saying the real world of wisdom, of fortitude. Fortitude means strength, means uh, you know, being strong. Temperance means kind of like self-control. Justice, right, means doing the right thing. To a never-ending nonstop abstraction. What is an abstraction? This is an important word. We're going to use it a lot today. So you need to understand the word abstract and abstraction. An abstraction is an idea that is only in your head. It's only in your brain. It's only in your mind. It does not exist in the real world. You cannot touch it. You cannot see it. You cannot feel it. You cannot taste it. You cannot hear it. It's only in your mind. It's not part of the real world. So, for example, TV. Every single television show is an abstraction. It's not the real world. It's a screen, right? It's just images on a screen. It's actors playing a part. Even newscasters, they're playing a part. It's not the real thing. All the news is edited. All the news is controlled. It's a story. You're not getting everything. You're not getting the whole real world situation. You're getting their version of it, their abstraction. Another way to think about this, I think Alan Watts, a great teacher, great writer, Alan Watts, He had a great way of explaining this. He described it this way. Two phrases. They're they're really good. Phrase number one, the map is not the territory. The map is not the territory. Think about that. You have a map, right? It's a piece of paper, right? So say you have a map of California. Well, the map can be somewhat helpful. It can show you a road so you know how to drive from L.A. to San Francisco. But the map, it's not the real California. It's just a piece of paper. So imagine it would be crazy if you lived in, let's say you lived in uh, Spain, and you just studied the map of California, and you looked at it every day, and you memorized everything, and then you thought, oh, I know all about California. I know California. I understand California. I am an expert on California. But of course, you've never seen the real California. The map is not the real California. You've never actually experienced the mountains, the ocean, the coast, the people, the culture. The real California is infinitely complex. You could spend your whole life exploring California, walking and driving through and around California, meeting all the people, exploring the landscape, the rivers, the mountains, the plains, the wildlife, all of it. And you will never, ever, 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 ever understand any of that by simply looking at a map. In the end, the map is just a piece of paper. 
Another way he said this is, which is kind of funny and easy to, easy to understand. The menu is not the meal. The menu is not the meal, right? So you go to a restaurant, you look at the menu. Again, it's a piece of paper. It's an abstraction. It's just words on a page. You can read the menu. When you read the menu, you'll get some ideas in your mind about what the dish will be, how it might taste, how it might smell. But that's not real. You're just imagining it's all in your head. It's all an abstraction. Right? You can't eat the menu. Ah. You could try, but you'd only be eating paper. You would get no taste or smell or nutrition from eating the menu. Right? The menu is an abstraction. The meal is the real thing. The meal is the real life. And no matter how good the menu is, even if the description's amazing, it will never really give you the experience of eating the actual food. This is the problem with education and with television. Television is fairly obvious. Let's talk about schools. This is the problem with schools that I really, I just, I don't like it. I I hate it. I hate this about schools because it's all abstraction. They never teach the kids about the real world. Nothing is real. It's all abstractions. It's all from books. It's all from textbooks. We need real world education, real world experiences, real world skills, real world relationships and connections real-world knowledge based on the outside world, what's actually happening, things you can touch, see, feel, hear, etc. I'm not the only one who thinks this. You know, um, Richard Feynman, famous physicist, he won the Nobel Prize for physics. Uh, Great book. He wrote some great books. In one of his books, he described education, physics education, science education, and he criticized it. He said that most science education is too abstract. It's too focused on math and mathematics and formulas. And the students don't get out into the real world to observe the real world, to explore the real world, to experiment in the real world. But that is the basis of all real science. All real science must connect to the actual real world. The formulas are there to help us understand the real world. But he criticized science teachers and educators because they focused too much on the abstraction and the formulas and they had no understanding of the real world. Right? They focused on the menu, they focused on the map. And they thought that they understood the real world, but they didn't. And they were teaching their children, teaching all the kids in their their classes, in their schools, to only think about abstractions, to only focus on the menu, and never to actually eat the food. You know this happens with English education. That's why in Effortless English, we talk about Learning Real English. It's one of our rules. Learn Real English. We have a website, learnrealenglish.com, that is especially focused on this. A whole course especially focused on this. What is Real English? 
And what is abstract English? Well, abstract English is what you get in most English classes. It's what you learned in school, right? It's grammar rules. What are grammar rules? They're just abstract ideas about the language. It's not the actual real language. When we speak, we never say, I will now conjugate the verb, blah, blah, blah. These are abstract ideas about the language. Vocabulary lists. Again, it's an abstract idea. It's an abstract way of learning. Because in the real world of English, no one just speaks in vocabulary lists. No one just speaks in random words. It doesn't, that's not the real world. It's not real world English. You need real world English. That's why, that's why I do this podcast. And that's why in my podcast, I don't talk about grammar rules. Well, I talk about real life topics, right? Real world English. I'm talking about a book right now that I enjoy, Dumbing Us Down. I talk about life strategies that I think might be useful or helpful to you. I talk in a very normal, real world, conversational way. Because you need real world English. You don't need more school abstractions, grammar rules, vocabulary lists, etc. It's, it's a tragedy, I think. Of course, it's obvious with English, but I think it's a problem with our schools in general. Another great education writer and a great teacher, Dennis Litke, wrote about this in his book, The Big Picture is the name of the book. And he talks about how our education system, our, our way of teaching children, needs to get back into the real world. That instead of just teaching from textbooks, what we should do is connect students with real-world mentors. A mentor is like a guide. So, for example, if a, if a kid, if a child is interested in science, instead of just teaching them abstract ideas from a science textbook. Instead, help them connect with a real-life scientist, someone who's actually out in the real world working as a scientist. Let them talk to that scientist. Ask him questions. And maybe that scientist could mentor them and help them do real-world experiments. So instead of just learning about cells and biology from a book, they could get out in the real world and see real living things, real living animals, and see how the real natural world works. And then, then they might get interested in, oh, well, what's, what's going on? And they could collect water from a, a stream, and then they could use microscopes and look at the cells and learn about cells that way from the real world. See, education should come from the real, real world first. It should start in the real world, and then you can use books or guides or other abstract ideas to help you. But the beginning point should always be the real world, just like English. Instead of studying vocabulary lists, it doesn't work, you just forget them. Instead, you listen or read, listen to or read real world English.
Let's just say you read a book. Let's say you go get the book, dumbing us down, and you read it. And as you're reading it, you find a new word, like uh, fortitude. You don't know what it is. Well, this is real-world English. And you're like, oh, well, what's this word? Then you could use a dictionary, look up the meaning, right? First, you have the real-world English, this, this, this book that's about a, a real topic, in this case, education. And then you use the dictionary to help you out a little bit. That's the way it should work. It starts with the real, and then you can use some tools to learn more about it. Or you could list, you know, watch a television show in English, recorded, and you hear a new phrase, a new idiom, ah, then you stop and you get online and you find the meaning. That's fine. But again, it comes from real English first. And it's true for science. It should be true for anything. Okay, then. Very good. So we have a mission in Effortless English to explore new opportunities for growth, to bring confidence, vitality, and happiness to people all over the world, to boldly go where we have never gone before. The first part of that mission to explore new opportunities for growth. And to boldly go where we have never gone before, the last part of the mission, they're both about real-world learning. To grow means to grow as a human being, to, to develop your character, your wisdom. That comes from real-life experiences, not from a book. Books can be helpful, some books do contain a lot of wisdom, but if you never put it into practice in your real life, it doesn't matter. Right? It's, it's the real world experiences, the real world relationships that matter. So, as you go forward, whether you are learning English whether you are learning science, whether you are trying to be a better person, whatever it is, focus your learning experiences first in the real world. Get real life experience. Then learn about it. But always, always, always start with the real life experience. If you have children, turn the damn TV off. Just throw it away if you can. Get rid of that damn thing. And... Get them out in the real world, exploring the natural world. Let them learn from real-life experiences. Connect them with lots of different adults who have different interests and different strengths. Let them learn from them as well. If you really want to make a big difference for your children, homeschool them. Instead of sending them off for some government employee to teach, you do it. Let them learn at home. You care a lot more about them than a government employee, I promise you. All right. Thank you for joining the Effortless English Mission. Get out there, learn and explore in the real world, and always, always, always learn with and from real English materials. For a free text guide of this show, go to my blog at effortlessenglishclub.com. So free text transcript of this show, 
go to my blog at effortlessenglishclub.com.